All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and singing together. And uh, I just want to tell you, happy Easter. We're just so glad that you're watching with us. I'm Ron Thompson. I get to be one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you to what we're calling Easter Online. And I know that there are pastors and there are bishops and there are speakers all around the world gathered in churches today, empty churches. Maybe they're in an empty living room. Maybe they're in an empty office and they're delivering a message, a message of hope. And part of the Easter tradition that we'll miss because we don't have people is when the pastor would say, he is risen. And the people will say, he is risen indeed. So would you do that with me right in your living room? Here we go. He is risen. I can't hear you. (laughs) Thank you. He is risen indeed. I'm so glad that you joined us in that happy Easter. And I just want you to know I miss being with you in person today. What a crazy time for all of us. As hard as it is for us not to meet at Easter, I believe that this unprecedented event that we're calling COVID-19 has unparalleled potential in how God wants to use this in our lives and in the world. I believe that we'll look back on Easter 2020 and we'll do a happy dance over what God did when things looked so chaotic, when things felt so overwhelming or out of control. God is in charge and he's going to use this for his glory. I'm just so glad that you're here with us today. And if, it's for the, if you're watching us for the first time, I hope that you feel right at home. Oh, wait a minute. You are at home. So I hope you feel at home, all of you, as you're watching this time we're together today. So a few weeks ago, when I saw what was happening as the COVID-19 pandemic began to rock our world with waves of chaos, worry, anxiety, fear, sickness, death, confusion, and uncertainty, I knew that on Easter, I had to speak about how we can not just hang on, not just survive these times, but I needed to talk about how we can thrive, but not even just thrive, how we can overcome this season with victory when this is all finished. Would you like that? I think that's what we would all want. I'm sure you've had time by now to get your message notes ready so you can follow along. Make sure to engage with our pastors who are on the chat there. They'd love to pray with you and converse with you as we go through our time together today. You can ask for those things and just, if you would, just write down the things that God speaks to you that you want to recall later. And if you have your Bible handy, why don't you go to Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's toward the back. Just go to Revelation and go left. You can't miss it. I'd love for you to go there and be ready. Well, I was reading this week that when the War of 1812 ended, the war between the U.S. and England, when it ended, that there was such a strong sense of purpose and national unity that historians called the period from 1812 to 1825, they called it the era of good feelings. Era of good feelings. So I have a question. What do you think they will call this era? What do you think they will call the time that we're in right now? When you think about our nation, you think about our world, you think about our politics, you think about the racial division that's still there, about the gap between the rich and the poor. When you think about the lack of economic fairness, and I think that we see that even more so in our time right now. When you think about our political and national animosity, when you think about our cultural, I'll just use this word, unwholesomeness, what do you think this era will be called? Well, some experts, they believe that this era will be called the age of hopelessness. And this was even before COVID-19, the age of hopelessness. 
See, we live in a time when so many sociologists, they call it that we are underneath the disease of despair. The reason we have such high rates of depression, addiction, suicide, abuse, drug overdoses, is that we have such high levels of despair. And I want to suggest, I want to suggest to you that you and I, we are the ones who get to choose, we get to determine how this time will be remembered. I want to be part of a movement, a part of a movement that chooses to move beyond the bickering and political squabbling and greed and self-centeredness and racial division and rampant consumption. I want to be part of something bigger. And I believe that being part of something bigger begins with our view of the future, begins with our view of hope. Question is, do we have a positive view of the potential around us or do we have a negative view? Which one of those permeates us most? So what I want to do today is I want to hear and talk about the fact that God has something better in mind for us than we would just live in hopelessness and despair. He wants us to live with hope. And the reality of us living as hope is based fully and solely on what we attach ourselves to. So today we're gonna to talk about how to be anchored to hope. And I'm gonna read the verse to you that the whole message is built on, Hebrews 6, 19. And it says this, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So this verse is pointing out to us that there is a kind of hope that we can have that won't disappoint. It won't fail, it won't fall short, it won't be inadequate, it won't leave you hanging, it won't leave you longing for more. You can trust it, it's reliable, it's constant, it's consistent. There's a hope that supports you and allows you to stand firm and strong when life's waves crash against you and you're wondering, can I even withstand this onslaught? Hope is what anchors the soul and holds you secure and gives you stability in the storm. Hope is what keeps you from drifting away from where you want to stay, where you'd like to remain. Hope is what keeps you going when you believe you've, you've been lost and you're looking for somewhere to go. So I'm gonna to begin today by looking about three ways we express our hope, okay? So you can just maybe jot these down either on the message notes or even in a pen if you have one at home. And the first is wishful thinking. So wishful thinking is just that. So we go outside and the sky's clear and we can say, I hope it rains today. We go outside, the sun's not shining at all. There are clouds, it's raining. We hope the sun shines today. Or we say something like this, I hope she likes me. I hope he proposes. I hope I win the lottery. And we all know that that's not likely, right? See, wishful thinking is hoping that something happens when it's not based on certain data or reality. Like, I hope the stock market goes back up on May 1st. <laughs> or for me, I hope that we get to meet together again on Mother's Day, May 10th. See, wishful thinking is based upon desire without evidence. I heard the story about a middle-aged man who went on a Caribbean cruise. And on the first day out, he's out walking along the deck and he comes across and he's walking and an attractive woman is coming toward him and they kind of lock eyes and then she smiles at him, this really warm smile. Well, that really touched him. So later on, when it came time to dinner and we went to the dinner quarters there, he asked the maitre d', he described the woman and said, if this woman comes in, would you please seat her at my table? And the maitre d' agreed and well, it happened. The woman came in and she came and the maitre d' brought her over and sat her at his table. And as the evening went on, they began to talk together and she smiled that warm smile again. And he said, 
you smiled at me just like that on the deck today. And she looked down at her plate and she smiled again. And she said, I smiled at you like that because when I saw you, I was immediately struck by your strong resemblance to my third husband. And he says, oh, how many times have you been married? And she looked down at her plate and she smiled again and she said, twice. <laughs> That's wishful thinking, folks. Oh, so the second is expectant longing, expectant longing. See, this kind of hope has some basis in reality. It's more than just wishful thinking. So if I go out today and I take some kale seedlings, I love kale, and I put them in my garden and I say, I hope they grow, I'm basing that on my hope and reason that I've you know, tilled my garden, I've got it ready with the right supplements and the right fertilizer, and I've taken care of my seedlings and I put them in the ground. So I have an expectant hope that when I put those seedlings in the ground that they're gonna grow and I'm gonna have lots and lots of really good kale. And so I'm relying there on my common sense. Expectant longing is when a woman is pregnant and the couple is looking forward to the birth of their child. They, they have the ultrasounds, they can see that there is a reality and they have an expectant hope that's going to happen. Expectant longing is what my son and his fiance had before the day they said, I do, on March 7th. Now they're spending their time quarantined together, trying to figure out what I do really means when they're thrown into constant connection all at once. See, real hope is not wishful thinking. Real hope is not expectant long. Real hope is not expectant long. Real hope, the kind of hope we want to talk about today, is confident, is certain confidence. Certain confidence. See, that's the kind of hope that the Bible says is possible because it's not based on the waves of change that are coming against us. It's not susceptible to unknown viruses that come at us out of nowhere and knock everything off center. Real hope is something you can count on. It is an anchor for your soul. So I want to get a better picture in mind. I just want to help us a little bit. I want to show you a couple of uh, pictures of a couple of anchors. So the first one here, uh, this is taken off uh, on the coast of Iceland. And it's a very famous anchor right there. And it's a beautiful, beautiful anchor to look at. The next one is actually at the bottom of the sea. And so when you think about these anchors, I want you to notice there's, uh, the primary characteristic of the anchors I showed you was the crossbar that goes across the top. See, many anchors have that unique shape, and it looks like it it's actually has a cross at the top. Now, that's going to have a lot of significance later on. So I'm going to give you some ideas about anchors. Anchors would be dropped to keep a ship stable when storms come. Anchors would be dropped to keep a ship in place when the currents were pulling against us. Anchors would be dropped when a ship was in harbor to keep it safe and at peace. And then there was a special anchor, like a parachute, that would be dropped behind the ship when they were in deep sea that would actually hold it into place as the current was pulling against that parachute. I'll bet you didn't know that the cross, we talk a lot about the cross at Easter, about the resurrection, Good Friday, we just talked about the cross. The cross wasn't the first symbol used by early Christians to put their faith on display. The cross didn't become commonly used until the fourth century, really. The earliest and most common symbol used for over 300 years by the early Christians was the anchor. It, you can find it present in cemeteries and in the burial catacombs underneath Rome and other Roman cities. It looks something like this. You see that, the cross, and then it's got the ichthus, which represents Jesus there as well. 
See, the early Christians didn't display crosses like we do today because that just was not safe for them to do. They displayed anchors because it was kind of, uh, they were kind of undercover pointing out the fact that they had faith that Jesus Christ was their hope. They'd placed their trust in him. I really love anchors. In fact, a few years back, I had a friend of mine design a tattoo. And so here I was ready to get my first tattoo. When my wife, Kimberly, asked me to consult my liver specialist about the safety of getting a tattoo considering my compromised immune system. So I told her I would, I went to my doctor, and to my disappointment, he said no, that he could not recommend that I get a tattoo. So in an expression of compassion and empathy, Kimberly asked a friend, Jess Mingo, to paint a picture to help fulfill my desires to have a anchor as a tattoo. So here it is. Here's the picture of what Jess painted for us. And this is a picture of hope. We have that right outside our entryway. So it's the last thing we see as we leave for our day. And it's the first thing we see as we come back home from what we've been doing. Hope, anchor. We want to talk about that for the next few minutes. And I just want to talk about what the Bible says when it talks about this anchor of hope. And so I looked it up, and by definition, an anchor is something that provides stability, confidence, and certainty. Would you say that in your life that that's what you need right now? I sure know that that's what I need. Let's just dig into these verses in Hebrews chapter 6. The writer of Hebrews is writing to give the early Christians who were underneath great persecution (laughs) to give them hope in the face of the uncertainty they were facing. I'm going to look at three things. The first is this. He says that their hope is anchored in God's promises. Their hope is anchored in God's promises. I'm going to read some verses to you from Hebrews 6. Uh, and just for a moment, beginning with verse 13. And it says this. It says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many descendants who would be as plentiful as the grains of the sands of the sea and that his descendants would be a blessing to all the world. Well, if you know anything about Abraham's story, God's promise didn't happen in Abraham's timing. Have you ever doubted God's promise to you? when it seemed like it wasn't going to happen, you thought for sure that he had told you this, but it wasn't happening in the timing you thought it should. Well, even though Abraham had a couple of stumbles in faith, that he did, you can read about them in his story, he, and he sometimes wavered in his absolute trust in God's promise, he kept himself anchored to God's promise. And finally, after 25 years of waiting, such a long time, a son named Isaac was born, and then another son named Jacob and then another son named Joseph, and another son, and so on until David was born. And God then came to David and made another promise that the Messiah, his long-awaited, the the, the Messiah, the long-awaited promise that God had given to Abraham would come through the lineage of David. And then Jesus Christ was born, who came from the family of David, who was from the lineage of Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham And that promise was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. But more than that, 
God's promise was fulfilled, not just in the birth of Jesus into our world. God's promise was fulfilled in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. And then the establishment of a new people who would be a blessing to the entire world. And today, his promise to Abraham and then to David is being fulfilled through his people, through the church. We are anchored to God's promises. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So when he says when Christ came, he's the yes to all the promises that began all the way back with Abraham. And so through him, the amen or the so be it is spoken by us to the glory of God. Folks, I don't know if you know this, but there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. And every one of them is a promise to you. It's promised to me from a faithful God saying that he has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. He is still at work. That's why real hope is based upon what we learn from God's word, not what we wish. When the waves of chaos crash over the bows of our lives, we can stand strong because we're anchored to his promises. This is the power of the resurrection for us. So that's the first idea. The second idea is this. Real hope is anchored in God's pledge. Real hope is anchored in God's pledge. So what's a pledge? Well, a pledge is basically an oath that I'm going to remain faithful no matter what the circumstances look like. So when a man and a woman stand before one another and they commit to be married together till death do us part, they're making a pledge that no matter what circumstances come, they are going to live up to that pledge. Now, I believe in biblical marriages, in biblical marriages, they're actually covenants. So you're actually covenanting with God that you're going to be able to fulfill that commitment that you made. We also make a pledge or an oath when we make it to something that's greater than ourselves, to anchor ourselves to a reality that gives us stability and confidence and certainty. So another way that we pledge is when we do the Pledge of Allegiance to America. We're pledging our allegiance not to a flag. We're pledging our allegiance to what America stands for, the home of the free. We're pledging our allegiance to what we can do in this world, and we're committed to that. When we go into a courtroom as a witness, we put our hands on a Bible, and we pledge on its truth that we personally will tell the truth just as that book tells the truth. Hebrews 6 talks about this. It says, people swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled... Two, take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. I just hope you have a way to underline that word, highlight it, in some way remember it, that we would be greatly encouraged. So God made a pledge and he said, by my character, I will do what I said I will do. By my character, I will be <coughs> true to who I am. One of the ways we know God in his character is by the way he revealed himself through his name or his names. Several times in the Bible, God shares his name so that his people would know him and trust him to do what he said he would do. 
So next Sunday, we're going to begin a series, and we're going to talk about God's names. Now, when you hear me give the title in just a minute, you'll know, well, that doesn't say we're talking about God's names, Ron. Well, let me tell you how it came about. I'd planned to begin a series after Easter, done a lot of work on this series, and it was going to be called Pursuing the Better Life. But as coronavirus 19 began to spread and the fear began to grow and the chaos began to expand, I felt that God was asking me to pivot. And instead, he wanted me to do a series that would help us stand strong and have courage in these chaotic times. And there's no better way to stand strong and courageous than to have an intimate relationship with God. And there's no better way to grow in intimacy with him than to know who he is. So throughout the Old Testament, whenever people needed to know that God was there for him, what God would do is he would introduce himself to different people with a name that would be specific for their circumstance and their situation as God's way of saying, I will be this for you. I'm excited for this series, you guys. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about how we can be stronger how we can have courage for the chaotic times. And I firmly believe that the way we can be, that we can weather the circumstances we're in will be determined by how well we know God. Do we trust him? Do we know him? Are we intimate with him? This series is gonna be, I think, so good at helping us to be able to hear from God as if he were sitting at a table like this and you're having coffee with him. And he says, here's my name for you. Here's who I will be for you. God gives us a pledge in his name. I want to read a verse to you from Psalm 20 that talks about this. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I think in our day, we could say some people trust in their 401ks. Some people trust in their health. Some people trust in the government. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So the idea is real hope is anchored in God's promises. Real hope is anchored in God's pledge. And real hope is anchored in God's provision. That's the last idea that I'll share. It's his provision. Well, what is his provision? Well, it's actually multifaceted. So I'm just going to go with the idea that we're talking about today, about what he did when he sent Jesus. God provided Jesus, who died on a cruel cross, so that whoever believes in him and his great love that he has for them would not perish but have eternal life. He provided a way for us to know about that deep love through the preservation of his word. And we can read about that. We can trust the Bible to be God's pledge to us that he loves us no matter what. He provides a way for us to overcome death. Guys, I know there's a lot of death and I don't want to make light of that in any way. But we can trust that God has provided a way beyond death for us to have life with him. He also provides a way for us to change. We don't have to stay the same. A way for us to overcome the hurts, habits, and hangups that hold us down. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That's what we celebrate today. And the Bible says that all who believe in him will be raised to new life as well. And that's how the writer of Hebrews ends this section, verse 19. 
We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary. Oh my word, the pictures here. Behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So our hope is anchored in the reality of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ to heaven where he entered the holy of holies. And he is there behind the veil. The rope is going to him. He is our anchor. He is our anchor. Our hope is being secured and is being held in heaven by Jesus himself. And I'll just tell you this. It can withstand whatever comes against it. It's trustworthy. It's dependable. It's reliable. You can bet your life on it. Jesus has gone before us. He's in front of us. He's in heaven, and he's providing the way for us to overcome our own death and be brought into heaven. Earlier, I talked to you about different ways an anchor was used. I want to give you another picture right now. I want to do that by letting you watch a little video clip with us. This is an example from the War of 1812 and how the Americans used a new technique called kedging to escape certain annihilation by the English army. Let's watch this. When dawn broke on the 18th, the crew of the Constitution faced a terrifying sight. They were being closely pursued by a British squadron consisting of four frigates, a ship of the line, a brigantine, and a schooner. As Hull ordered the ship to make sail, the wind suddenly stopped. Boats were lowered to tow the ship to keep her moving. The British imitated the maneuver, sending their boats to tow the flagship HMS Shannon. The pursuing ships gained on the fleeing Constitution. Then a lieutenant named Charles Morris suggested a new strategy, kedging. Kedging was a maneuver used by ships navigating crowded channels. The ship's anchor and cable were rowed out as far as possible by the boats, dropped into the water, and were then pulled back in using the ship's capstan, pulling the ship forward. The sailors set to work attaching a length of rope to the anchor chains. The maneuver worked and the Constitution slowly moved forward. The chase continued another full day, sailors rowing ahead, dropping the anchors and pulling their ship forward. Oh, that was an awesome story there. And I just got to tell you that those guys were studs. Uh, First of all, that they would all get in boats and row and pull their ship forward, and that wasn't enough. Then they would do this other method, and they were pulling the boat forward. But the key to this is that the anchor went ahead. The anchor went ahead. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He's gone ahead of us so that he can pull us toward him, pull us to heaven, that no matter what happens, we're guaranteed that we have access with him to heaven forever. Look at these verses from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is writing and he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And he goes on and says, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Folks, you can stand firm because you know that nothing that confronts you, nothing that you come up against, nothing can keep you from your eternal destination with Jesus. Therefore, even we don't, though we don't long for death, we don't have to fear death. Because death's sting has been made nothing by God's son. We're going to hear a song now by Lindsay Barrett. And she's going to sing a song that talks about the power of the cross, 
the power of the resurrection to set us free both today and give us hope for tomorrow and guide us forward in our eternity with him. And I want you to pay special attention when we get to the bridge of this song. It says that when we are anchored in Jesus, that we can be overcomers and we can have hope that the chains of bondage can be broken by Jesus' powerful love and mercy. After she sings this song, I'm gonna come back and pray with us. God, I just wanna thank you so much for the opportunity to have heard you today, to be connected to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you came to earth, that you gave up all the royalties of heaven, all your position, you humbled yourself as a servant and you came and you lived and you died on the cross for us, for every man and woman. You gave your life that we could have life, that we could come to you and we could know you, Jesus. You gave us then the opportunity to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live with you, to be changed by you, to live for you. And I thank you so much that we do not have to stay the same. I thank you so much for the hope that we can have that even though things may be difficult, even though things may be scary in our life right now, even though there are people who can't, they don't know how the next day is going to work out. There are people who have lost jobs, who have lost incomes, who have lost stability, who are scared about the future. And Lord, I pray that you would help us today, each one of us, that we would place our strong, strong hope in you. We look forward, we trust your promises that you've made to us your pledge that you've made, that you are with us, that you will not forsake us. As we sang earlier, you will not fail us. Help us to know you better so that even when the storms come, we won't be knocked off kilter. And I pray that you would just help us to keep our hands on the rope as Jesus, you pull us to heaven, that we will have our victory when we get to see with you. And I want to pray for someone that's never said yes to Jesus. You could do that right now. Give you an opportunity that you would say, Jesus, as much as I understand this, I want to say yes to you. I want to receive into my life what you came to give through your life, your death, and your resurrection. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Cleanse me. I want to walk with you. I want to know the kind of hope that this guy's talked about today. That's all it takes. It's my desire that you would just let someone know what you did just now. You can let us know on the chat that you said yes to Jesus Christ. And I just want to thank you so much, Jesus, that you're with us and that as we go from here today, that you would just inspire us, that we want to be people who bring hope into our world. We're not going to be naysayers. We're not going to let negativity rule, but we're going to be positive influences because we trust in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.